Welcome to Christian Life Assembly Online. We are so glad that you were able to join us. We hope you enjoy the message this week from Pastor Jim Poirier. For more information, please visit our website at www.clawinnipeg.org. Or if you have a prayer request, please email us at prayer at clawinnipeg.org. It was uh, 18 years ago this Sunday that we started here at this church uh, the first time when we came to pastor here 18 years ago. And so that was September the 16th, which was a very interesting first Sunday because it was following September the 11th, 2001, 9-11. They say that close to 3,000 people died in... uh, in 9-11 in various places, in the towers, in the airplanes, at the Pentagon. Of the people that died at 9-11 at the Twin Towers, about 341 of them, I believe, were firefighters, and about 71, I think it is, uh, police and other emergency workers uh, were part of the number of people that died. It's, it's, It's a sad fact. But it is also a story of great heroism that as people were fleeing from the scene and running away from the tragedy that was unfolding, these emergency workers ran into the situation. They ran into the Twin Towers to to save people and to assist people and to help people. And so ultimately, they sacrificed their lives. It was part of their job. It was part of their calling to run into the tragedy and not away from it. I would not make a good firefighter. I, I'd, be, I'd be running away, stuff like that. Just, uh, you know, I've got that, that fight or flight thing. I, I would go in the other way. And so these are interesting um, things to think about as, as, as we consider uh, the week that we are in and also today as we consider uh, the, the scriptures that we're looking at. And I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. I'm going to be reading this passage of scripture, and it's on choosing the seven. And it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests came to obedience and faith. And so here was a a situation in the church. 
where they were doing some ministry, and I think people were always uh, very well-meaning in their endeavors here, but they were missing some people. And because they were missing some people, needs weren't being met for these folks. And it began to stir up some controversy among the believers, some divisions, some accusations. So maybe there was talk of racism in the midst of this. But whatever it was, people were complaining and, and needs that they were intending to meet were not being met. It was becoming a real problem and a real challenge for them. You might say that the disciples walked into the problem. Like those emergency workers at 9-11. They went into the midst of the turmoil and the rubble. And so the disciples went into the problem and said, we've got to solve this, we've got to do something about this. And that is what our story is about this morning. First point I want to make this morning is um, recognizing the leader's limits. As we look at this passage of scripture, we see that certainly there were limitations that the apostles had. They had launched this ministry and were doing their best to, to feed the widows. It was a caring ministry. And the success of the early church was also a threat to be the undoing of the early church. Because as the numbers grew, it became more and more unmanageable. And as it became more and more unmanageable, people began to become discontent. And as people become discontent, we know what happens. We complain, we murmur, we gossip, we criticize. That's what happens when we get discontent. And so the leaders, I think in many ways, were probably being stretched. They were doing their best. They were doing their best with what they could do. But the success and the growth of the church was causing some pain and some difficulty for the church. And so the issue that was arising was between the Grecian and the, and the Hebraic people. And they had to address that issue. When churches grow, things change. When a church grows, everything changes. Uh, rooms become more crowded. Uh, needs become more intensified. Leaders can become busier. Uh, buildings get damaged. Walls get scuffed. Programs get stretched. Leaders get stretched. When churches grow, things change. It's just part of life. And when things change, there's oftentimes an increased demand on structures and systems that have to support the growth and care for the people. You can't have growth and complete chaos and disorganization. When you have that, you have situations like this in Acts chapter 6 where people start to get discontent and, and bicker and murmur. And so the current structure that they had with probably the 12 disciples giving primary leadership, and I'm not totally sure that they were personally waiting on tables, the scripture's not real clear on that. 
But there's a very good possibility that they were involved in waiting on tables and trying to meet these physical needs. And so they could have responded to this problem in, in a few different ways. They could have said, hey, everybody, quit your complaining. That could have been something that they'd done. Or they could have said, guys, we got to try harder. Let's get up earlier in the morning and stay up later at night and, and we'll just put in more hours because we got to try harder. we got to get this done. They could have ignored the criticism. They could have, and this is oftentimes what we do, is, is we keep doing the same things and hope for different results. They could have carried on doing the same thing and just hoping that it would fix itself. But there was a better solution at hand. And uh, that solution was, was uh, to put their heads together and figure it out as a group of believers. The disciples recognized their limitations when they realized that there was a problem. As they looked at their limitations, they also realized that there had to be some solutions. It's when we experience failure that we start looking for solutions. Fear of failure is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And we ought not to fear failure and hold ourselves back. If you are going to do anything in life there's of, of substantial significance, there is always going to be a risk to you. And one of those risks is failure. And for leaders, they have to take risks. And when we take risks, there's always that chance of failure. And if we, if we decide that we're going to have an aversion to failure, we won't take risks and we won't advance the work of God Businesses don't advance if they don't take risks. Businesses don't advance if, there's, if there is uh, an attitude of, we absolutely can't do anything that, that could cause us to fail, so we're just going to keep doing what we've always done. If you're going to move forward, you're always going to experience some risk, and you're always going to open yourself up for the possibility of failure. And so I don't know how it was that they began to get into this feeding widows ministry, I don't think any of them anticipated that anything could go wrong. They were well-intentioned. They were well-meaning. And when they ran into problems, they didn't say, well, we're going to quit. No, they addressed the problems and they said, we're going to fix it. Because there's work to be done. There's more to be done. And we're not going to back away just because we're experiencing some failure. So they called people that were, were full of wisdom and... Um, and well equipped for this there was a sense of agreement among the body of believers that these, these people that they were calling forward they were the right ones for the job and so they turned the responsibility over to others they entrusted them with the work they empowered them with the work and they released them to do the work and the disciples release themselves from the responsibility of overseeing this particular ministry. And it's important for us to recognize that when the body of Christ comes together, 
And people who have giftings begin to operate in those giftings and begin to function in those giftings and gain confidence in their giftings. One of the things that happens is the work of God explodes. And that was ultimately what happened in this passage of Scripture. Things begin to move forward. The most dysfunctional system that a church can have is we're going to hire a pastor and he's going to do all of this work and we'll sit back and we'll watch him do it. And we'll, we'll critique how he's doing. We'll criticize how he's doing. That is not the sign of a healthy growing church. That is the sign of a church that's on its last legs. That's the sign of a church that will die. Because that is a system that is absolutely destined to fail. And that is not what the early church worked at developing at all. When problems arise, it's always good to address them. And you can write that down in your notes today. When problems arise, it's always good to address them. And sometimes the best way to address a problem is to turn it over. Turn it over to others who can do it better. To others who are called. To others who are anointed by God to do the work. And so what was the ministry that the 12... That the twelve were fearing they would neglect. The ministry they feared they neglect, would neglect was prayer and preaching. They did not want to neglect the spiritual work that God had called them and anointed them to do. That is what they were afraid they would neglect. And when they got the structure right they were able to begin to move and flow in their ministry and in their gifting much better, and the church exploded. It exploded. It grew. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, and there's, there's so much written from verse 12 on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, it said, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And this passage of scripture goes on to talk about how the various parts of the body depend on each other. They are not in competition with each other. They complement one another. And so every part of the body is vitally important. And what this is telling us is that each one of us are part of the body of Christ. And each one of us have a different gifting, a different function. And one function is not more important than another function. Every part is important and every part matters. And it's very interesting to note that in this passage of scripture, the work of God exploded. But when did it explode? After they appointed people to wait on tables. And you'd never look and say, well, we're going, to, we're going to really believe God for growth and expansion, for revival, and for hundreds of people to get saved. Who wants to look after setting up chairs? But that was essentially what they did. Who's going to look after setting up tables. And after they got that looked after, things took off. It's an amazing thing. 
Well, why was that? Because now people were functioning and flowing in the areas of ministry that God had anointed them and appointed them, and the results happened. So servers stepped into, into this role. People that wanted to serve stepped into this role. When I want to talk today about, about two different giftings that are apparent in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is, is serving, and the second one is apostleship. And if you did your gift assessment and, and you checked off the boxes and it came back that you were strong in the area of serving, pay attention to that. Because you're important. And your gift is important. And your gift is needed. And your gift is necessary. And as you function and flow in your gift, you are going to have an impact on this world. Your life is really going to count in a very significant way. If you have a gift of serving, you have an important gift. So I want to talk for a moment about the gift of serving. People with the gift of serving have incredible joy when they're serving. And those who don't have the gift of serving look at them and think, not sure what it is they love about this, but they sure seem to be happy doing it. And, and I rem- I, I've known many people in the church that have a gift of serving, and it's, uh, you know, can you do this? Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, could you do this? Oh, for sure, I'd love to do that. And you're thinking, that's the last thing in the world I'd want to do. Why would you want to do that? This is what you're thinking. You don't say that, but you think, why do you want to do that? Because they are fulfilled in that. They are operating in their gift. They are functioning and flowing in their gift, and they're excited to be able to do it. If it's setting up tables, praise God, I get to set up tables. Uh, I think of of, um, this special person that comes in here and, and cleans our carpets and cleans our church. And We were downstairs the other day, having a meeting following the Sunday morning service with our youth workers. And I, I could hear this, this banging against the wall and, and this noise upstairs. And I, I, I remember saying, is there a squirrel in the ceiling? Like, what's going on? There was this noise. The church was empty. And I came upstairs. And here's this precious saint of God who comes back to church every Sunday following the service And just cleans up a little bit after the service. When I walk in here on Monday morning to go to work, this church is absolutely spotless. You wouldn't know that, you know, a hundred people had been through the building. That's a gift of serving. And they're happy to do it. For others that don't have that gift, they would they would begrudge it, they would hate it, they would feel like they're wasting their lives. But for the person with the gift of serving, there's joy in serving. Let's talk a little bit more about the gift of serving. We need to be careful not to take for granted those who have a gift of serving. They need to know they're appreciated. They need to know they're valued. And we need to say thank you to them. Every so often, we need to pat them on the back and say, we couldn't function without you. They need to know they're, they're appreciated. When they see needs, they're, they're, they see them. They oftentimes will see them first before others see them because they have a gift of serving. And they're eager to meet those needs. Here's another thing. Their expression of love to you and to God is in deed. Not necessarily in word. Where a lot of people say, I love you. And, 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 and we think that we verbalized it. They know it. 
person with a gift of serving is going to show it. They're going to show it indeed. It's important for them to, to be able to express it that way. You have to also understand that people with a gift of serving will sometimes have a hard time saying no. And if you are a, a, a person with a serving gift, there is a two-letter word that you need to learn, and it's N-O. Because you don't want to be burning yourself out and doing everything, because that can begin to infect your spirit as you, because you have your limitations. You can't be going nonstop night and day. And so we need to be very careful with those that have a gift of serving in the church so we don't take them for granted and we don't put too much on them. But we share in the work. And it doesn't mean that if you don't have a gift of serving that you, you don't have to lift a finger. Let me, let me give you an example of that. We might have a banquet set up for a banquet and, and it's all done by volunteers. Well, the rest, of everybody can't get up from that banquet and say, well, I'm out of here and not lift a finger to lift a plate or move a table or anything. It would be improper to say, we'll leave that up to the servers because, you know, I'm an exhorter and I'll just stand around the foyer and talk. No, we need to help the servers as well. They'll take a lead role and they'll be happy and fulfilled in doing it, but it doesn't mean we can't share in the work at times. The other caution that a server needs to be careful of is not to be judgmental of those that don't serve. We have to recognize they have different gifts and we not need to be careful not to let our spirit get infected and become judgmental of those without that gift. And so let's look at our third point this morning. The, the great results that happened when the servers got busy serving one of the results that happened was the servers began to serve and the apostles were able to be, to be apostles. They were able to apostle-size and do whatever it was that apostles did. And we're going to be talking about that for just a few moments here today. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talks about getting the right people on the bus and getting those people on the bus in the right seats. And he's, he talks about this in terms of organizations. And you could include businesses, you could include the church in that. That in order for anything to move forward, you have to have the right people on the bus. And they've got to be in the right seats. And that was a little bit of what was happening in Acts chapter 6, as they were, they were getting the right people on the bus, the servers, the, the ones that they chose, to wait on the tables. They were essentially getting the right people in the right, on the bus and in the right seats doing the right things. Because clearly, the old system wasn't working. And if, it was, if the system was this, that the apostles were waiting on tables, that clearly wasn't working. They obviously weren't very good at it. Or if they were just leaving it up to a random group of people and... Nobody was in charge and nothing was getting done properly. Well, that wasn't working either. And so he had to make a change in the body of Christ, in the family of God, in order for these tables to be waited on properly. I like some of these old movies. I, I, I have to admit that I like Clint Eastwood. And, and in one of the, the movies he, he uh, does, he's talking to, I, I think it was a corrupt cop. And the corrupt cop is telling him to, 
to, to leave the car and he says, you know, nobody's going to believe you, you're a killer and, and the corrupt cop was a bad dude and, and they had obviously been in a car chase. And so Clint Eastwood throws a bomb in the back seat of the car. It's on a timer. And the guy says, back away from the car. And so Clint Eastwood gets away. And, and the corrupt cop is talking to him. And he gets in this car. And it, it chugs away, chugs away, chugs away. And he puts it in drive. And he, he drives away. And, and Clint Eastwood is standing there watching him drive away. And all of a sudden, kaboom, the car explodes. And Clint Eastwood gives this perfect line. A man has to know his limitations. <laughs> and we have to know our limitations. We have to know what we're good at and what we're not good at. When we know our limitations, then I think we can function and flow a whole lot better. As they recognized their limitations, as the apostles recognized their limitations and appointed people to wait on tables, there were some pretty incredible things that happened. And you can take notes of this. Three, three results. And the first result was that, that the word of God spread. Apostles loved to spread the word of God. They loved to create opportunities and systems and ways and means of, of getting the word of God out. And so the apostles would have been able now to, to dream a little bit about, well, what's, what's our next challenge? What's our next opportunity? Where do we go from here? Now that we're released from this waiting on tables, where do we go from here? And they began to be able to dream a little bit. And so as a result of that, the word of God spread. And because the word of God spread... Numbers increase significantly. When the word of God is preached, people hear and people believe and people will follow Jesus. And so the numbers of, of, of disciples increased. And here's something else that happened. The priests got saved. So the religious order of the day were converted to Jesus. You know, sometimes religious people are the hardest ones to convert. But I was, I was meditating on this, and I thought, isn't this interesting? What do priests do? Well, they lead. They have influence. People follow them. And so this multiplication thing kicks into effect because these priests get saved, and what do you think they're going to do? Well, they're going to tell other people about Jesus. And the people that they lead, the people that they influence, the people that follow them, the people that look up to them, the people that they serve are going to also hear about Jesus. And so now the word of God really spreads and multiplies at a very increased rate. So the word of God spread, numbers increased rapidly, and priests got saved. And it's important for us to recognize that God was not concerned about their comfort or convenience. He always wants things to grow. It's important for us to recognize that the body of Christ should never be stagnant. That it is abnormal for a church not to grow. I'll let that sink in. Let that sink in when we hear from, from the pollsters and, and the researchers that the church is losing numbers. 
Let that sink in when we see churches going up for sale and closing down. That that is not God's normal. That is not a biblical norm. It is normal for the church to be growing and expanding and increasing in numbers and for people to be getting saved and for the word of God to be spreading. And I would dare say that it is absolutely essential. It is not optional in this day and age when there is so much evil present and so much confusion in this world that if the church isn't growing, our culture is in big trouble. Our nation is in big trouble. If the church isn't growing and if the word of God isn't spreading and if people aren't getting saved, we're in big trouble. And so it's got to be normal for us as a church to be thinking in terms of growth. It's got to be normal for us as a church to not be content, to not be concerned about our own comfort or our own convenience. I remember pastoring at a church. It was a, a large church, one of the biggest ones I'd ever gone to. And, and uh, I was one of the staff members. And I looked after Sunday school and Christian education. And I remember walking through that building one day, and it had all of these huge empty rooms. I was so unaccustomed to a building that large. And I remember walking through that building and praying, God, fill these rooms. Fill them with Sunday school classes. Lord, give us an increase. And within a couple of years, every one of those rooms was filled. And we had no more room for classes. And it was uncomfortable. And it was inconvenient. People were walking across parking lots to go to their Sunday school rooms in other buildings. And I prayed this morning, Lord, help us as a church to become uncomfortable. Help us as a church to be inconvenienced. Help us as a church to be stumbling over each other. Help us as a church to be so busy on a weekend with services that we are we are just overrun and we are uncomfortable. Lord, bring us to that place. Do you believe in that this morning? Can you say amen? amen? God is not concerned about us being comfortable. He is concerned about the word of God spreading and numbers increasing and people coming to him. That's our call. That's our commission. And that's why we're doing the things we're doing and taking risks and taking chances making changes and, and taking on new challenges. That's what this is all about. We don't want to be comfortable and we don't want to be convenienced. We want to be inconvenienced so the word of God will be, will be spread. So let's talk for a few moments. Let's talk for a few moments about apostles. We talked about servants, but we're going to talk about apostles. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be touching on the different giftings that that believers have, and we're going to be applying them through the scriptures and talking briefly about them. And in your life group this week, as you get into your life group, you're going to be learning more about apostles and about servants. So let's talk about the ministry of the apostle for a few moments. Your apostles are visionary leaders. Your apostles look at a situation not as it is, but as it can become. They look at situations when it comes to the work of God, and they don't see problems necessarily. They see opportunities. They look at 
a, a town, for instance, whose, whose last church is closed down, and there sits in the middle of a town an empty church, and somebody with an apostolic gift is going to look at that and say, I wonder how we can get the gospel in there again. Let, let, let's talk to people. Let's, let's plant another church. Let's do something. Let's not just leave that and, and, sh and shrug our shoulders and shake our heads and, and, and rub our, finger, our, our hands together and, and say, oh, too bad. No, they say, Let, let's take it for Jesus. That's apostolic leadership. Here's another, um, another thing that ap apostolic leaders do is, is they lead leaders and they work to encourage and inspire them. They appoint people who God has anointed. And we see that in verse 6. They appointed, they anointed, they laid hands on them, they prayed on them, they released them. That's what an apostle does. They release them into ministry. Another aspect of apostolic ministry. One of the things that apostles, people with the apostolic gifting have, one of the needs they have is, is they need people to come alongside them. They need managers. They need organizers. They need servers. They need the other gifts to come alongside them and help them see the ministry fulfilled. Because as they may be strong in vision, they need people to come alongside and look after the details. So that's one of the needs that an apostolic leader has. Why do they need that? Because once they launch something, once they see something happening, they need to go out and do it again. And again. And again. Because they're not content just to, to do one thing and say, well, you know, okay, I did my apostolic thing. They want to keep doing that just like a server wants to keep cleaning the carpet and cleaning the carpet and washing the dishes and straightening up hymn books just as a server is content in doing that and happy in doing that and fulfilled in doing that. An apostolic leader wants to keep seeing the work of God advance and new things happening and new things starting and, and new, new challenges being taken and new mountains being climbed. They want to see more of it. An apostolic leader needs challenge. An apostolic leader needs opportunities to be presented and one of the challenges for apostolic leaders is we need to be careful not to get too far ahead of others. We need to bring them along and not, get, and not get ever get stuck in a maintenance mode because that's stifling and it's like death to an apostolic leader. And so when you have leaders in place in the church and you recognize, okay, God's, God's put them here. There's a reason why God's put them here. It's to advance the work. It's to advance the kingdom. And it's not to get stuck in the mode of comfort and convenience. But we're going, to take, we're going to take new territory for the kingdom. And we're going to do it together. And we're going to believe God. We're going to dream big and see God do things. And so as we close this morning, I want to, uh, see, I want to just point out a couple things here. There's an interesting mixture in this passage of Scripture between those who, who were apostles and those who were servants. And, and when the apostles were trying to do the work of servants, their results weren't very good. They weren't very good. Just like if you took a bunch of servants and said, okay, I want you to go take that town for Jesus, they'd be like, 
well, we'd sure like to clean up the streets first. <laughs> uh, did you see all those weeds along the boulevard? Because they serve. And so the results aren't very good if we're not operating where we're supposed to be operating. But there are powerful outcomes and ministries and opportunities and growth in the kingdom of God when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that was very evident in this passage of Scripture. And we can expect God to surprise us with amazing things when we just get busy doing what we're supposed to be doing. Thanks for listening to Christian Life Assembly's Message of the Week. Be sure to check us out at clawinnipeg.org for more information.